0: I do. (laughs) Good morning. Good Good to see you. Isn't that beautiful, that video? So last week, what did we do last week? Do you remember? We're in, as Glennon said, number three, and last week was all about the light. The light has come. Light came when God created, didn't he? At the beginning of time, he said, let there be light. The second great event of light is Jesus. There's going to be a third one when he comes again. Just absolutely glorious light. And If we look at that second verse, which the guys just sang, it said, Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts, by his cradle we stand. So led by the light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The King of kings lay thus in a lonely manger in all our trials, born to be a friend. We're going to do two preachers out of this this particular verse, one this week, one next week, and I'm focusing on those middle two lines. So led by a light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. Turn with me to Matthew, chapter 2. And I'm going to read through with you verse 1 to 12. Very familiar text. When I was little, I always envied the boys who got to be king. I never got to be one of the kings. If you were lucky, never was lucky. Got to be Mary, or even maybe the, the, the angel Gabriel, Usually I ended up as an animal or, or a shepherd. not even a shepherd, you know, an animal, yeah. You know. So it's easy. We know the story, guys. It's easy to say, "Okay, I'll switch off, don't know. No. But God, I believe God's got something for every single one of you. In fact, He confirmed it in what He's already said. He's speaking to us. Don't let familiarity blur your mind. Choose to be attentive. Choose to say, "This is God's word. There's always something new, always. Okay, you ready? So Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, notice how many times he says behold. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And this you can find in Micah, if you want to go find it Micah chapter 5. that I too may come and worship him, liar. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I think they were preach chuffed, eh? <laughs> and going into the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, and in the word there is treasure chests, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, how cool is that word? So, the Magi, the Magi, or Magi. So, this elaborate, we didn't see the picture there was the shepherds, eh? Hey? it wasn't the kings. So, these, these kings arrive in Jerusalem. They would have caught, you can see, they caused a stir. Probably incredibly grandly dressed, imperious, uh, confident, they waltz into Jerusalem. So, then, oh, who has arrived? And the name that is, we interpret wise men or magi, is magos. And Margos means, it means wise men or it means priest. And these men were experts in astrology, interpreting dreams, and other occultic arts. By Jewish law, they were, should have been put to death because you may not dabble in occultic arts. They would have been seen as evil, they would have been seen as immoral, so they wouldn't have liked them. They come from the east, that's all we know, they come from the east. It could have been Persia, it could have been Babylon, it could have been the Arabian desert, but they're coming from that side of the world. And they follow a star. Now be careful, the star is not our understanding of a star in scientific terms today, it's simply a luminous light, not the sun, but some luminous light that they follow. There's speculation as to what that might be. I presume you know that Jesus was not born on 0 BC. He's born about 6 BC, okay? That's when Jesus is actually born. 10 to 12 BC, or 12, to whatever, you should go the other way around. Hey, 12 to 10 BC, Halley's Comet appeared over the world. And one thought is it was one of the ends of the comet, you know, or some part of the comet that these wise men saw. The other thing is we had one this year. Do you remember the conjunction, lovely word, conjunction of the planets? What in the heck is that? Jupiter and Mars and Saturn. I don't know if you watched it. It was incredible. One night, they were perfectly in line from our point of view. And it was much, it was like an incredibly bright star. And there was a conjunction of these planets about 5, 6 BC. But we don't know. We don't know. But we do know it was God sent to attract these wise men. When you go back to Numbers, God through the prophet Balaam. Now, remember Balaam. Balaam's this naughty prophet who... Uh, Balak, the king of Edom, says, come and curse this new people. Look at them marching through the desert, killing people. I'm nervous. Come and curse them. So Balaam goes up, and three times he tries, and every time makes bigger sacrifices, and the king says, come on, you can do it. But every time he blesses them, every time he blesses them, and this is one of the things he says in Numbers 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Isn't that cool? We know that God was going to put a star to declare Jesus' birth. So I'm going to leave the, I have mathematical numbering now. Did you notice that was 1.1? So we're going to go to 2, and then we're going to come back to 1.2, okay? Because you have to be ordered here. So why am I breaking it? Because I want to speak about Herod before I continue with the Maga, because it's important to understand this man. The, the, the guy who was in rule, there were lots of Herods here, but the one who's in charge now is called Herod the Great. He was a nasty piece of work. He was paranoid. He was ruthless. He reigned from about 40 BC to 4 BC. We know he killed, murdered three of his own sons. Why? Because they were a threat to his kingship. So he had them murdered. And we know the story that carries on. He actually murders all the baby boys in Bethlehem because he's got to wipe out this Messiah. We know that happens, not in our text today. But verse three says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? Dignitaries, foreign dignitaries often came to Jerusalem. It was a regular thing to have these dudes coming in. They'd come to the temple, do their bits, leave their gifts, and go. So it wasn't new to have this entourage arriving in Jerusalem. But what concerned Herod was what they said. We've come to worship. We followed a star that worries Herod. They know their Bible. And it's the king of kings. So he is troubled. Uh oh, someone's threatening my throne. That's his thought. Jerusalem's troubled because they know this dreadful, paranoid, ruthless king, what is he going to do now? What mayhem is he going to do now? So everyone's in a tiz. So he's, he's secretive, and he calls, he takes them seriously. He takes these, this, this thing by the Magi very seriously, he calls all the priests and the pro, and the, of the temple, and he says, guys, when, what is, what, where is the Messiah going to be born? Because notice they don't say, is the Messiah going to be born? He knows the Messiah is coming. The Jews believed it passionately. But the question is when and how. And they say he's going to be born. He's going to come to Bethlehem. Now the king gets really worried. So he calls the wise men. says, okay, you guys go find him. And obviously his intent is to kill him. We could say, oh, dreadful man. Gee, so independent so wanting control of his own life, who is anyone to tell me what to do? Hmm. What did God say this morning? We have our little independent streak. God, you can have every part of me, but not that part. That's my right. I'm a human being. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Guys, I've been so challenged. I I do believe in prayer. I've always believed in prayer, but I've been so challenged recently. If we don't pray, we are assuming we can do it without God. We're being like Herod. I'm in control. I can do these things. I don't need God. That's what we're actually saying. Think about it. I don't have time to pray. We don't have time not to pray. We cannot be independent. It's so easy to slip into that. So easy, because we're naturally independent. We're capable people. We can do this. Let's learn to this Christmas, if we never have to do it again and again, bend our knee and say, you, Lord, your way, not my way. Help me. And he's interested in every single part. He's interested in the way you drive to work. He's interested in how you speak to your colleagues. He's interested in how you do your work. He's interested in how you eat. He's interested in how you exercise. He's interested. He wants to be involved all day, every day. And he carries on when we're sleeping. How awesome is our God? So back to the Magi. So verse nine, I love these two verses. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Think when you look at how that's written. So what happens is they see the star in the east, probably, you know, several years before Jesus is born they start their journey. They know they're heading to Israel. So where do they go? Jerusalem. Why not? Why Jerusalem? Because obviously, where's a king going to be born? In Jerusalem. It seems there was no more. They, once they'd set on their journey and they were on their way, they knew where they were going. They'd done their astrology and their things bobs, and they went to Jerusalem. Now, they realize that it's not Jerusalem. Herod sends them on their way, and what happens? The star comes back and leads them directly to the house where Jesus lay. They're like, oh, wow, this is God. He is showing us the way. Now, I have to remember what these magi are. Just remember, they are unwanted, unloved, evil People, God is calling them. God wants them at the birth of His Son. Well, at the, at His Son's when His Son's a little boy. But are we? When things happen, you know, we we're very quick to moan. Hey, oh no, level four again. <laughs> we're so quick to moan. Are we quick to rejoice with exceedingly great joy? When life is just so good. The little things, guys. Yes, when it's, it's easy when it's the big things. But the little things. I, went, I hate shopping on Good on Black Friday. I'm not a Black Friday shopper, but I need to shop on Friday. So I, go, I went early morning. I don't go to shop the Black Friday deals. It went so quickly, I got there before anybody else. And some of the stuff that was on my list. You know, it was three, four, whatever, whatever, you know, all those nice things. I came out of there, I thought, thank you, Jesus, for that. I was chuffed. I was so chuffed. Are we thankful for the little things when they work out? People say, oh, that's just life. That's a chance. No, it's not. It's God. God in his ways. So now they get to the house. Now, remember, Jesus is now probably about two years old. I hoped Kazia would be here because she turns two soon. Anyone here who's two? Um, is three, so she's a little bit bigger. But picture it to hold your littlest. Two. There we go. Jesus like that. (laughs) Can't see her at the moment. (laughs) Okay, we're not talking about her. (laughs) We're talking about Jesus. Sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So sorry. (laughs) So... (laughs) Humble apologies. But think about it. A little like that. Probably, you know, babies cry, hey? This is not little. This is a real two-year-old. It's a simple house in Bethlehem. They haven't left Bethlehem. Remember, there's a stigma. They're the couple who had a baby out of wedlock. They don't want to go back home. So they're living simply in Bethlehem. God hasn't told them to move. They're staying there. They're just there. It's convenient. These... Magi arrive. Now, again, can you imagine Bethlehem? Okay, why are these men here? (laughs) What's going on? What's going on? In their finery, on their camels, imperious, coming through the hovel streets and little villages and little houses, they get down off their camels, and they fall down in the dust before this two-year-old. Picture it. They know this is the Messiah, and they've come to worship him with all their hearts. And don't forget who they are. Do you feel unworthy? Do you feel broken? Do you feel the puzzle pieces need to be put together better? God's calling you. God says, come, come to me and fall at my feet, and I will restore. I will make you one with me. He is such a gracious, merciful God. We come as we are. How amazing that God chooses those magi to come, to show us we are all worthy to come to the feet of Jesus. Every single person you can think of. And then they give these incredible gifts. Now, it's not unusual for dignitaries to bring gifts. I mean, you always read how the um, Ramaphosa and the queen and all or the king now, you know, they get these fancy gifts and they have these rooms that are full of their amazing gifts that they get. So they open these treasure chests. So they would have been these big treasure chests, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Imagine the spot. I mean, gold. I've never seen gold. Yeah, I mean, I've seen my ring. (laughs) But can you imagine this chest of gold that's open and glittering? And myrrh and frankincense are beautiful spices. Imagine the aroma that fills the room. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know how Mary and Joseph were handling this. First, these dudes fall on the floor and worship their, their child. I mean, they know who he is, but, you know, jeepers. And now they present these amazing gifts. In terms of today's, what you know, if we evaluated what it was worth then, now, if you know what I mean, it would have been about 53 million rands worth of gifts. 53 million rands worth gifts presented there and then. Yeah. So gold. I had to Google this. I wonder if anyone knows. What's the most precious metal today? I didn't know this metal existed. Glendon, you should know. Not palladium, not uranium, <laughs> not no. platinum. It's something called rhodium. It is a silver white, robust, corrosion resistant, inert transition metal. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's the most expensive and most precious metal. In the world today, I Googled it, so maybe Google's wrong, but I Googled several places and everyone said rhodium. They mentioned the other ones, but no, rhodium is the one that wins. In that time, it was gold. It was gold, and gold signified royalty. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. We, all of us, we have big trials and we have little trials. And often we say, it's just too much. The cost is too much. It's not fair that I have to be like this. It's not fair that I have to deny myself this. Guys, what was the cost that Jesus paid for us? Peter, in his letters, puts it so beautifully. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We have been bought. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's only the blood that covers our unrighteousness and gives us his righteousness. We can never consider the cost too great, as tempting as it is sometimes. Consider Christ. Frankincense. So I I, I, tried to get, I couldn't find a value of gold at that time, but I found the other ones. So at that time, 500 grams of frankincense, so that's half a kilogram, it's not a lot, so they would have bought a lot more. 500 grams of frankincense would have been worth 9,000 rand, so they would have bought several kilos, so that's just the frankincense. Frankincense reminds us of his deity. Frankincense we find way back in Exodus, when Moses... When God was telling Moses, this is how I want you to do the sacrifices, the burn sacrifice, the the sin sacrifice, all the different sacrifices, peace offerings, all the different offerings he had, often God says, add frankincense. Add some frankincense. So that when you burn it, when you burn that sacrifice, it may be a pleasing aroma to me. Frankincense's smell and you can still get it today. I also Google that. You can buy frankincense and myrrh today, <laughs> much cheaper. <laughs> and frankincense and myrrh, well, frankincense is the, 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 the way that you get the most best smell out of it is by burning it. Fire. What is fire a symbol of in the, in the New Testament? Holy Spirit. Think about Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came for the first time to manifest himself in men, after Jesus had gone, he came like a wind and with flames of fire. Are you ignited by the Holy Spirit? We're, we are a fragrance. Because we're Christian, if even we, if, if you're Christian, you are a fragrance. Either a good fragrance or a bad fragrance. But you, you smell, inverted commas. To, to make that, that fragrance more beautiful, more glorifying of God, more attractive to men, we need to be ignited by the Holy Spirit. And we got to invite him every day because I think that smell gets very dim sometimes. Holy Spirit, ignite me. May my smell, may my aroma glorify you and glorify you in front of people, that's the thing, where people say, what is it? What is it that you've got that's different? He's called Jesus. And we can tell people about Jesus. Are you ignited? Do you want to be ignited? And then myrrh. Do you know this is the, one, the most expensive one of the three that they took? At that time, wait for it, 500 grams of myrrh, it's light, was 500 grams, half a kilo, was worth 70,000 rand. <laughs> Very expensive stuff, myrrh. It puts into context the woman who anointed Jesus with perfume. Remember, we know that we, we lent and preached about that. We, we preached about it recently where it was about how um, she brought her whole inheritance because myrrh was jolly, jolly, jolly expensive. So myrrh is valuable as a perfume, but it's known for as an anointing spice, anointing. In Exodus, the special anointing oil that was kept in the, not the Holy of Holies, but in the holy place, was was made, one of the constituents was myrrh. It was used to anoint the priests and all those, anoint the buildings, all the things that they did the anointing with. So it's an anointing um, herb and it embalms the dead. Used to embalm the dead. The best smell from myrrh is when it's crushed. Think about that. They bought this spice, credible value, giving its best smell, used to embalm the dead when it's crushed. He was crushed. For our iniquities. Esther, when she was being prepared for the king, had six months of myrrh treatment, and then she had six months of other beautifying and purifying spices and oils, but she had six months of myrrh, all that treatment, why? Prepare her to come into the presence of the king. What do we need to do to come into the presence of the king of kings? Nothing. Jesus Christ has done it all. By faith, little, tiny, insignificant, minute, little piece of faith. We believe and we get to come into the presence of the King of Kings and worship Him. What a privilege. What a privilege. His love, those gifts were so significant, but His love took Him to come as a baby, to die on a cross, so that you and I can come into the presence of the King of Kings. In wrapping up, this is quite a long quote, but it's such a good quote, so I can send it to you if you want it, but it's by C.S. Lewis. And he says, the Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead." I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Magnificence. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What has he said to you as I've brought these different aspects? Is there an area of your life where you're fiercely independent and you will not let God in there because that's yours? Perhaps today he's saying, let me have it. I can do a better job. Maybe you feel not good enough. Maybe you feel unwanted. He says, come to me. Let's remember the cost that he paid. And let us give the holy spirit access to every part of our lives i'd like you to invite you to do something different today the wise men came into the presence of jesus the baby and they fell down and worshiped him as i pray today i would like to kneel kneeling is not in itself important it's not but when we physically do something it helps us to do it inside have you noticed that so by kneeling it's a very humbling thing it's not it's not comfortable and if you don't want to I totally respect that we will not look I will not look around and I ask no one to look around but I would invite you today it was interesting the you version had the same thing. Just, I mean, I love how God confirms His word. He said, "Just kneel. Not the kneeling. It's the attitude of the heart that helps me." But yes, Lord, your way. Let's pray.